Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And we are gathered here together with our company of Christ-confessing Concordians, Pastor Jonathan Fiss, Pastor Peter Ill, newly elected Southern Illinois District Secretary, Reverend Secretary, it's a pleasure to have you with us, and myself as host, Pastor Sean Smith. And this is a live call-in show. If you would like to call in and interact with us, you are certainly free to do so at 1-800-730-2727. And today we are talking about the Lord's Supper. We're continuing to push through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We're covering that section where we take a look at all of the uh, means of grace, those sacraments. We talked about baptism the last couple of weeks, and today we're going to get into Article 10 on the Holy Supper. But before we do, gentlemen, pleasure to be here with you. Amen, amen. Always good to be here. Voltron. We should talk about Voltron. What is your deal with, like... Toys from the 80s? Yeah. Especially when they've been rebooted on Netflix with five full seasons of awesome comedy, drama, and action. You sound like you're reading copy for a commercial. No, no, it's a great show. You should watch it. I really mean it. Watch it the whole family. Now, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. That's a good thing. Yeah, because I don't have Netflix. I live in the country. Oh. Dark ages. Yeah. No TV. No. Yeah. Beautiful country, though. Very beautiful. Yeah. I got great sunsets. Off the grid. I make wine. Yeah. Just no need for all this technology stuff. No. I'm sure. Except for radio, of course. I, I always have radio, but that's that's just good, solid technology. I mean, the dial's stuck on AM 850, but... Voltron has several radios <laughs> built into it as a, as a robot. Cats. So what's the uh, status of the controversy here with the Holy <laughs> Supper as we get into it with the, uh, uh, with the Apology of the Augsburg Confession today? Can I jump and just say, well, I, I want to remind us of how cool the setup is of the Augsburg Confession as we have moved from articles on justification, on forgiveness of sins, our life in Christ, actually really from sin, our fall from God, to who Jesus is, to our life in Christ, to the church and what the church is, and now we follow up with what the church is by a, a deeper discussion on the status of the controversy on baptism and the supper, that this is very much a part of what it means to be Christians in church together. Um, I don't remember particularly what is the Roman re- rejection of this, right? Well, there isn't, as we'll see today. There you go. So actually you. the confutation agrees here. Um, as as we saw with baptism, uh, we, we also see here with the Holy Supper, and we also see uh, in confession that all of these are affirmed by the Roman uh, uh, pontifical confutation that responds to our Augsburg Confession. And as we talked about with baptism, I mean, really, they affirm it um, by and large. Uh, they say, yes, we have agreement here. You are teaching what is orthodox um, on these matters, what is right on these matters. Um, however, if we were to get into the finer details of it, there are indeed differences. 
but on the quote-unquote major issues, uh, they certainly have agreement with us. And, and we're, we're really going to see that, and we have potential to talk a good bit about that. Uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we, we go out of our way to, to rejoice in the common confession that we have there. Now, I could just see a Lutheran right away, though, saying, well, no, 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 they have transubstantiation. We disagree with that. So how can you say that, Pastor Smith? Right. And that's where I would say that's some of the finer details. Um, and, and maybe it'll be better um, to talk about or, or to read through this, see what we say, um, and then get back into that. So I'm going to put that on hold if I can uh, and go ahead and jump you into. To, you want me to turn my mic off since I'm on hold? Just kidding. Just kidding. It, hit the hold button. <laughs> just just don't yeah. play elevator music for Sometimes us. Sometimes I wish I could hit the hold button on Jonathan Fisk. <laughs> <laughs> I believe anyway. it. I believe it. All right. Uh, let me go ahead and read Article 10 from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession on the Holy Supper. This is on page 153 in the second edition of the Reader's Edition of the Lutheran Book of Concord uh, from CPH. Article 10 has been approved in which we confess the following. We believe that in the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood are truly and substantially present and are truly administered with those things that are seen, bread and wine, to those who receive the sacrament. We constantly defend this belief as the subject has been carefully examined and considered. Since Paul says the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16? It would follow that if the Lord's body were not truly present, the bread is not a communion of the body, but only of Christ's spirit. We have determined that not only the Roman church affirms Christ's bodily presence, the Greek church also now believes and formerly believed the same. Their canon of the mass testifies to this. In the canon, the priest clearly prays that the bread may be changed and become Christ's very body. Bulgarius who does not seem to be an important writer to us, says clearly that bread is not a mere figure, but is truly changed into flesh. There is a long commentary by Cyril on John 15, in which he teaches that Christ is bodily offered to us in the supper. For he says, and here quoting Cyril, Nevertheless, we do not deny that we are joined spiritually to Christ by true faith and sincere love, but that we have no way of connection with him according to the flesh. This indeed we entirely deny. We say this idea is completely foreign to the divine scriptures. For who has doubted that Christ is in this manner a vine and we the branches, deriving life for ourselves from this? Hear Paul saying, For you are all one in Christ. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. For we all partake of the one bread. That comes from Galatians 3.28, Romans 12.5, and 1 Corinthians 10.17. Continue on with the quote from Cyril. Does he perhaps think that the virtue of the mystical benediction is unknown to us? Since this is in us, does it not also, by the communion of Christ's flesh, communication of Christ's flesh, cause Christ to dwell in us bodily? And a little after, therefore, we must consider that Christ is in us, not only according to the habit, which we call love, but also by natural participation. We have cited these testimonies not to undertake a discussion here about this subject, for His Imperial Majesty does not disapprove of this article. But we cite them so that all who read them may more clearly discern that we defend the doctrine received in the entire Church. In the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood are truly and actually present. They are truly administered with those things that are seen, bread and wine. And we speak of the presence of the living Christ, for we know that death no longer has dominion over him, as it says in Romans 6, 9. And once again, we 
we read a whole article in the apology. I'm I'm just going to pat myself on the back, letting everybody out there in the radio world know. Don't put a shoulder out. Yeah, but indeed, this is well stated. I think, and it, and it is good to read it in its entirety because they they make a point right at the end to say, you know, we're we're not restating this because we are in disagreement. We want to affirm that we uphold with the Church Catholic, the Orthodox theology, you know, being the universal church and right teaching of the church has always been that Christ is truly present. And uh, and that seems to be their main force here. I don't know. What do you guys Sucker think punch. about this? Sucker punched to Zwingli's jaw out of left field. We've been arguing with the Pope, but oh, Zwingli, did you feel that? You know, it's just kind of uh, affirming. And this is important, though. It's not it's not like rude. The, the Radical Reformation was sweeping through large segments of Europe and really deceiving some, and particularly on this article, denying, teaching people to deny Christ's body and blood. And, and this continues to be an issue for world Christianity today. And so very much at the start saying, look, if we can say we agree with you on this and the ancient church totally is in agreement on this too, let's say it. We're on this side. We are sacramental Christians. We are not merely Protestant, if I can say it that way. Sure. And as we think about this radical reformation, that's a term that that we tend to use as Lutherans quite a bit, but maybe it's not something that's experienced by everybody. And so, a radical, re- uh, the radical reformation are those who uh, had some some ideas of of what we would call today charismaticism or kind of a Pentecostalism to them of receiving the gifts of God uh, through the Holy Spirit, through some kind of reason or knowledge uh, on the more conservative sides or on the more progressive sides, they would have visions and uh, perhaps some speaking in tongues kind of manifestations and things like that. And they were, uh, regarding the Lord's Supper, symbolists. They would say that the Lord's Supper symbolizes Jesus' body and blood, but Jesus is not bodily present. Uh, This is something that, uh, and I want to speak a little bit carefully here, this is something that John Calvin and those who follow in his tradition, uh, the Reformed churches and the Presbyterian churches and, and others who are influenced by Calvinism, they are very quick to say, no, wait a minute, we're not symbolists. We talk about a spiritual presence of Christ in the sacrament. And I, I want to make sure to to engage with them on, on their terms and on their beliefs and not mischaracterize them. But for uh, this gentleman, Pastor Fisk, that you mentioned before, Ulrich Zwingli, right. great name, by the way, uh, he taught that the Lord's Supper is just a symbol, and there is no power of God, and there is is no physical or spiritual presence of God. The purpose of the sacrament is to remind you that Jesus gave his body and blood on the cross, but Jesus is not coming to you in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and that that just runs contrary to Scripture. Yeah, it's interesting that you said uh, earlier, Pastor Fist, that uh, it was kind of going through Europe and deceiving some, but I, I would argue that a good bulk of American Christianity today sure. follows this yeah. kind of teaching. A lot of your uh, so-called non-denominational churches and, and things like that. Uh, as you talked about, um, Pastor Hill, you know, 
you have Zwingli and, and Calvin, and they're kind of together, but not together. They have different um, uh, teachings and so forth, but then they kind of come together in what we would generally call the Baptist church today. And we talked about that previously about how Zwingli had the Anabaptist, and it's not the same. It's not equatable to our present day Baptist, um, but you certainly have some of those aspects in their theology, but then they also bring in Calvin. And so, yeah, you, you get Presbyterians that fall under that Reformed camp after Cam- uh, Calvin as well and some others, but they all have this kind of representation theology. And and it just depends on how much with Calvin they are on, is it a spiritual presence or just purely uh, done in remembrance of? And so you kind of have this broad spectrum there um, with everyone else except for us. And and the thing is, I mean, it's, it's very, I, I want to recognize that, the, that there are what I would call the hardcore or the conservative Calvinists that want to distance themselves from some of the practices of more radical Protestantism. That's fair. And they want to say, we don't teach exactly the same thing as those who would say this is a symbol. But at the same time, it's kind of just playing with words. Because if you're going to say, well, Jesus is not present in with as the bread. He's just spiritually present. Then what's the bread? It's a symbol. You can say it's just a spirit, but it's a symbol. He he is not bodily present. He is not, the way we'd understand it, sacramentally present. There is no oral participation or reception of Jesus. And so, as Luther says to Zwingli, or of Zwingli, they're all birds of one feather. And yes, I respect the desire to distinguish yourself from the Pentecostals. Yes, amen, agreed. Glad you're doing that. But I'm sorry, I cannot distinguish you from them on this doctrine. On this doctrine, you're actually holding the same position. The bread is just bread, and thereby is only a sign, only a symbol, nothing nothing more. And that's just not what Christ says. Yeah, yeah. Debate me. Please do it. Do it. I'm, I'm making faces at Pastor Fisk. You, you, For those, you can call in at 1-800-730-2727 Uh-oh. if you would like to debate Pastor Fisk on this point. Yeah. And, and I guess the line starts here. Um, I am going to debate you just a little bit, Pastor Fisk, on this, because as we talk about the the Calvinists who talk about Christ being spiritually present. There mm-hmm. is there's uh, a lot of philosophical and rational underpinnings to why they talk about what they talk mm-hmm. about. Um, and I think a, a Calvinist would fight you. For the record, of course I am, they would. And for the record, I am not a Calvinist. I might just fight you anyway. Yeah. Uh, because I do want to to represent them well. Uh, and. We're making hand signals at Peter Ill over something that's in the window behind him, and now we've stopped. But please continue. Thank you. Uh, okay. So, for the listener, I have a little bit of a challenge with, like, ADD, and always am overstimulated. Nonetheless, though, I want to be fair and kind to to our Calvinist brothers and sisters mm. in Christ. Sure. And I do want... They, they have this idea of... In the Lord's Supper, you are being taken spiritually mm-hmm. into heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't get how that works, and I'll be the first to tell you that. And it's it's one of the big hang-ups that I have about Calvinism. I don't I don't understand how they say that, and and I certainly don't see how they say that the Bible says that. But uh, that is very much, uh, in very specific terms, not the same thing that the. Uh, the more radical reformers like Zwingli would confess. So in that, they're trying to say that Jesus is really present 
And so in that sense, it is not only a symbol. The, the, the Lord's Supper as a whole is not only a symbol. And, and I, again, I'm going to say that's I'm challenging them. I'm saying I think that's a word play because you're telling me that the thing we're actually doing, eating the bread, drinking the wine, is, is frankly only a symbol. And what is happening with us spiritually in this event is the same thing that happens when the word is preached. Right? Uh, really, not much more or less. Although, I, I mean, that, that, there I am going too far. They are saying there's this unique spiritual feasting on Jesus uh, through faith. Okay, that's great. But I also think it's interesting. You know, of course they would debate us. You know, they disagree with us on this matter. And at the same time, there's this grand history of them wanting to say we don't disagree on this matter as well. And they want to say, you know, we really have the same kind of ideas. We really believe that Christ is present. And yet, when we get down to the nuts and bolts of the thing, the oral eating and drinking just doesn't belong anywhere in their mindset. And even Calvin himself signs the, the consensus turgenus. Thank you, Sasa, for turning me on to that, uh, where he, he calls our position abominable, an abominable lie. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I want to respect their position, but let's just be honest about our positions. Let's draw these lines nice and clear and recognize that you're saying this bread is just bread. It's So so what is it? It's not Jesus' spirit, right? That's some other thing that's happening in my heart. What's the bread? And my, my contention is it's just a symbol. No? So it's it's wordplay. But I please, keep sure. going. I love no, this. I, it's great. I, I think this is good. And I think it brings us back to Article 10 in a really helpful way. Because the question before that Pastor Fisk had asked that we kind of put on the table. I think I'm going to pull it off the table now and we're dusting oh, it off. Oh, good. I can finally go. take my mic off mute. I was going to leave it on mute. No, oh. Didn't do it. <laughs> uh, it, it, we have this uh, statement of we hold... Uh, in uniformity of faith with the Roman Catholic Church. How much do we hold in unity of faith with the Roman Catholic Church? Enough to say that Christ is bodily present in the Lord's Supper Mm. and that Christians orally receive the body and the blood of Christ. We don't pick up on transubstantiation here in Article 10 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. That's, That's not at issue for Melanchthon as he writes the apology. What is at issue is, hey, together we confess that Christ is physically present in his body and in his blood, with bread and wine, in the Lord's Supper. And if you don't believe that, you got a problem with the Roman Catholic Church, you've got a problem with the Lutheran Church that wasn't quite fully recognized yet, and we're just going to say, hey, you've got big problems because that's not how the Bible talks. you got a problem with the, the Eastern Church, you got a problem with ancient Christianity, you are in fact a new thing. Yeah. Right, if we can put it in the scope of what's going on too, if we back all the way up to the Augsburg Confession, what was the original charge made against the Lutherans? You guys are heretics and excommunicated from the true church mm-hmm. because you are teaching differently. You're you have heterodox teachings. Uh, you have different teachings than what the church has always confessed. So what's in the, the view for Lutherans as they present the Augsburg Confession, which I'm going to back up and read that. It's, it's like one sentence. So it says, our churches teach that the body and blood of Christ are truly present and distributed to those who eat the Lord's Supper. They reject those who teach otherwise. I mean, it's that simple. That's what's in our view. We are worried about, uh, not really even worried about, but we are we are concerned with confessing the truth of what the t- church teaches on the Lord's Supper. Now, 
There are other articles, namely 22 and 24, I think it is. Let me check my notes here. Yep, 22 and 24, um, where they talk about some of the other things, specifically the abuses uh, that the Roman church has introduced into mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper. So we'll come back to this again. Um, and even there, they don't pick up this transubstantiation issue that you were talking about. We can here today. Um, but uh, what what they are concerned with is confessing the truth. And I think... For the Lutherans, it, it, they don't really care that the Catholics think that they might even agree on transubstantiation. Luther will cover that in the small called articles. I believe it's uh, uh, part three, article four, where he covers yeah, that. Just off the top of your head. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I like to study things and, and be prepared and for shows. And remember them. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, Luther's going to cover that issue there in the small called articles. But uh, we're not so worried with that when it comes to the Augsburg Confession. We're worried about um, or concerned with confessing the truth of what the church teaches so that we can say, look, we, we teach nothing strange in our churches. That's the main focus of the mm-hmm. Augsburg Confession. And the apology, the defense of it. You remind me of something there, too. And I said sucker punched his wingly earlier. But I remember now being taught at the SEM that this is actually a hole in the Augsburg Confession that the radicals will later drive a truck through with Melanchthon's own hand. And the formula has to come along in many ways and clean up that mess. And so that's where you get, you know, the really clear uh, nailing down of every edge of the Lord's Supper is is in the formula of Concord because there were Calvinists who came along and said, we can subscribe to this Augsburg Confession thing. We're okay with this. And then and then Melanchthon comes along and he, he tinkers with the, the apology a little bit, a little variation here, a little variation there, and see, we're all friends. We're all good. Christianity's together. We're great. Well, he actually tinkers with the Augsburg Confession as itself. well. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Which barely could be tinkered with, uh, but he does. And I believe, but this article is a big part of that, that reality. So, what's up, Bill? You look like you need to talk. Well, it's been too long. I, I want to jump back in, though, and, and say... I do think that when it comes to the matter of transubstantiation, the Lutherans do address that here in the Apology, right? Um, uh, Specifically, uh, it's part of paragraph 57, but towards the end of the article, where it says, In the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood are truly and actually present, all right? So, Rome hears that, and they're like, great, we're in agreement we're with you. Um, however, subtly, they continue on. They say they are truly administered with those things that are seen, bread mm-hmm. and wine. And yeah, so it's accidents. not quite the, it's the accidents yeah, of bread and wine. Yeah, it's not quite oh. the in with an under, you know, full out that Luther will go when he gets into the small called articles. Yeah. And, and, and not a clear calling out of the issue of transubstantiation. But the Lutherans are already here, at least in the apology, uh-huh. saying there is something going on with the bread and the wine and the truth presence of christ we're, we're we're not negating either i think that's an awesome little pickup there i've never seen that before and they really are dropping down now, i made the joke about the accident so let me, let's just define yeah. do you want to define transubstantiation yeah, real quick uh in in terms of dictionary time with pastor ill my new favorite segment of our show that i just made puts up. the kids to sleep every time uh-huh just like my sermon complete but with that's mispronunciation okay. of latin Ouch, I know. That was a long time ago, too, man. Nonetheless, transubstantiation is the Roman Catholic idea that the substance or the essential parts of communion are changed 
transformed, if you will. And so you, you have substance transformed, transubstantiation. And so the substance of bread and wine is changed into body and blood of Jesus. But according to this kind of uh, platonic, that is of Plato, uh, this platonic idea, there are also the, the outside trappings of the bread and the wine. Uh, those are called, in philosophical terms, the accidents or the appearance. And the Roman Catholic Church will say the substance is changed from bread and wine into body and blood. But the accidents, the external trappings, are still, they seem like bread and wine, but they're not really bread and wine. The substance of them has been changed. Uh, and so we have transubstantiation, but not transaccidentation. So you don't have, uh, this is why communion bread still tastes like bread, the Roman Catholics will say. And it's why wine tastes like wine and not like blood. But technically the they're Catholics saying say. it's not bread and it's not wine. Correct. But there is no actual bread or wine there. Correct. It just looks and tastes like it. And that's where we're like, well, the right. Bible says bread and wine. Yeah, the Bible <laughs> says bread and wine. And this is where the use of First Corinthians 10 is really helpful. The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? And here, St. Paul recognizes body and bread together. Uh, the cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Cup and blood together. Uh, it is bread and it is wine. And it is body and it is blood. How? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I'm not going to try to answer that. We don't have to philosophize the Bible. We simply confess what it says, that the bread that we break and the cup that we bless is the body and blood of Christ. And it's still bread and wine, too. I think that's an excellent point. And as we're coming up here on a hard break in just a minute, I, I just want to reaffirm. I, I love how you took it to 1 Corinthians 10 there, and and certainly Scripture sub supports this point. What we're saying here in the uh, Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, is we are confessing. We are repeating back what God has told us in His Holy Word. We believe it to be true. We will continue to confess that till the end. We're going to take a break here, but as we come back, we'll continue confessing this truth of God's Word about the Lord's Holy Supper. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. This winter, consider a smart and easy gift to KFUO that pays you back. A charitable gift annuity provides both lifetime cash payments and makes a legacy gift to KFUO. Since gift annuity payout rates are based on age, this way of giving is attractive to those listeners 65 or older. For information, call Mary at 314-996-1518. That's 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to answer your questions about gift annuities and how you can establish a legacy of giving to worldwide KFUO. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day. 
Radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news. Worldwide KFUO. What is the alt-right? Where did it come from? And what is its connection to white nationalism and white supremacy? And is it Christian? Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Dr. Jordan Wales of Hillsdale College about alt-right identitarianism. We'll also have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Paul and Silas in prison. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Frederick Douglass was a brilliant writer, orator, and a renowned anti-slavery activist in the mid to late 19th century. Born to an enslaved woman in 1818, he escaped to the North at age 20 and lectured throughout the United States. In a speech in 1852, he expressed respect for America's founders, but also criticized the hypocrisy of American Christianity's support of slavery. His speech was filled with biblical references, including text from the book of Acts. You profess to believe that of one blood, God made all nations of men to dwell on the face of all the earth and hath commanded all men everywhere to love one another. Yet you notoriously hate all men whose skins are not colored like your own. Engage with the Bible in its impact on the history of a nation. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Concord Matters, that show where we seek to be of one mind, the mind of Christ. And we have our company of Christ-confessing Concordians here, Pastor Jonathan Fiss, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. We're a live call-in show if you'd like to interact with us and challenge us on some of the assertions that we made in the first half hour of the show. Uh, you can call us at 1-800-730-2727. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and social media things. And we'll thank Sarah in advance for uh, go ahead and referring those things to us as uh, need be on that. I don't got time to debate people that don't think Voltron's awesome. I just, I don't <laughs> got time for that. Wow. Has anybody tried yet? No. Why would they? Because no. it is. It, no. it wins you over. And there was none of the Transformers talk last time or anything. I mean... Maybe maybe people just don't care. Anymore. The Transformers reboot was not good. The movies have been terrible. But Voltron, I'm telling you, you will you will laugh. You won't you won't quite cry, but you'll rejoice. I'll be happy without it. But moving back on to the Reverend Jonathan Fisk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, so, it, it is important to talk about that transubstantiation mm. issue. And as, as Pastor Peter uh, well defined it um, in the newest segment of our show. Uh, what did you call it? Dictionary terms with pa- dictionary time with Pastor Ill, I think. Dictionary yeah. time with Pastor Ill. We'll have to That's make a that a show. recurrent yeah, feature. Well, I, I like it. You know, we we have some Latin coming up in, in oh, uh, uh, Article uh, oh, Eleven on confessions. Is that what it says? We'll you can get on that, that, can't you, Pastor Ill? Do do better. Do it. Do it. Just, just I'll wait until we get there. We're no, not just there do yet. it. Do it. Omnis utrusque. That's wrong, too. I, I'm bad. I don't even know where you are. Oh, it's on the bottom of the page. Anyhow, transubstantiation. One of the things Trans- I think is really fascinating about transubstantiation is that it's it's one of these really rare errors. I'd call it heterodox, not heresy, right? We kind of yeah. agreed with that. It's one of these really rare errors that you have to be right to be wrong on. 
Like, they have to get right that it's Jesus' body and blood in order to get it wrong that it's not bread and wine anymore. And, and kind of, they've, they've taken the truth too far if you can do such a thing. And we, obviously we can because it's, it's just a, it's a really weird place where, again, we, we do agree. But then it's like, what you doing? Why are you messing with the thing that's right? You know, why, why are you trying to explain the miracle? Another way to look at it, and and I think that's a that's a good point that you made. You know, it's it's heterodox, not heresy, mm. and I think that's why you know both in the Augsburg Confession, I made the point in the first half hour of the show, you know, that we're we're concerned with confessing truth, uh, so that's our main focus here. Um, but as as far as confessing that truth, I, I think. I don't want to crawl back years and years ago, centuries ago, and try and imagine what might have been in their minds. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if for the Lutherans, they say it is a more grievous error to cut Christ out of the supper entirely because that offers you no benefit. It does nothing for you if you're way off on that end. And so we're going to allow ourselves to be aligned and we'll clear up the errors later, the heterodox errors later, but to cut Christ out of the, the supper, I, I don't know if I have the right to call that outright heresy, but I definitely think it's a lot closer than just heterodoxy because this is clearly a, a big thing when it comes to right. how the, Christ gives us what he does on the cross. The Roman us. Catholic Christian, even though they believe in transubstantiation, which is a non-biblical teaching, is receiving Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins when they commune. And they believe that, right? I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. They define grace a little differently than we do, Pastor Hill. So, you know, there's that going on. But they, they, they believe and are, in fact, participating in the same thing. And so, yeah, it's a massively bigger difference when you actually remove that from the Christian life altogether. And for the record, our Calvinist brothers and sisters in Christ and our Reformed brothers and sisters in Christ, when they receive the, the, the bread and wine with the word of God, which is now body and blood, are also receiving that. They just don't recognize it. I don't know what this is. It's not what Peter says, but okay. <laughs> it's a good debate to have. Are, uh, are you sure this is not what I'm pretty says? sure that we, we confess that the sacramentarians do not have the supper. Yeah, I'm gonna challenge you yeah, on do finding it. that peeper uh, section right, there. Right. Um, but uh, I only have volume one in the studio right now. Okay. But, yeah. But, Returning uh, to dictionary terms or dictionary time with Pastor Ill, that would be uh, the work Christian Dogmatics yeah, by yeah. Reverend Doctor Francis Peeper. Uh, and so, as you hear the us brothers, I suppose, talking about uh, what Peeper says, that is that is uh, former synodical president and seminary president uh, Francis Peeper. Just. So we're all clear on where we are. Keep going. Yeah, I think yeah. not everybody it. knows that who Francis Peeper is. That might be well, more we do encyclopedia. Every every Monday. Well, that could be yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Every Monday at two p.m. at this time slot, we mm-hmm. read Francis Peeper on cross defense. So hopefully, the listener does have have a connection to to Doctor Peeper. Yeah, you should listen. Yeah. <laughs> Peeper's well known in the KFUO uh, podcasting and uh, radio waves. Hey, that's fantastic. Um, so, but uh, getting back to the Lord's Supper, yeah, I, I think, you know, this This is the uh, the distinction, and I'm going to side with Pastor Peter Hill here, uh, so it's two against one in the studio here, um, that uh, we, we confess as Lutherans that when God's Word, which is powerful and effective, right, is spoken in connection with the bread and the wine, that is a... An, an effective that is the Lord's Supper that they're celebrating. And you can celebrate that in error. And I think this is then where we bring 
St. Paul back in, 1 Corinthians 11, right, where, you know, he says, you know, and, and starting in 10, this is what you're celebrating, but you're doing so in error, and that's why you're sick. This is why you have a problem. And uh, and so it, it, it would be, we would confess that this is the Lord's Supper that they're celebrating, but they're celebrating in grievous error. And it, this is consistent with the way we talked in the last couple of weeks, saying that those out of the Anabaptist tradition and those who deny the effectiveness of baptism, who receive baptism, are still baptized. Those who commune, even with an... A, a, a misunderstanding and a grievous misunderstanding of what the Lord's Supper is still commune. Uh, Pastor Fisk has his head down uh, reading from, from the Reverend Dr. I made Francis him people. study. This I'm is something that has formula. not happened I'm in a long time. I'm looking at the formula right now. Uh, yeah. It, okay. It, it talks about it in there too, maybe, I think. But uh, the... the might be in small call as well. You guys keep going. I mean, you're okay. fine without me. You're fine. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know if I want to leave this point or or, or continue to hang on here while you look around. No, go go um, on to whatever but, you uh, want to talk about. We can always well, come back to it if we yeah, need to too. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm listening. Still on this issue of transubstantiation, we talked about in the first half hour of the show um, how uh, you know th- this is a change of the substance, but not a change of the uh, what was the word that accidents. we're accidents? Right, that's the one. The that external we're using trappings there. are called yeah, accidents, those right. those things. And uh, and the way to kind of remember this, you know, this is a fancy way to learn some some pretty deep theology here. Actually, um, that uh, what they are saying there is hocus pocus, it becomes something else. And and I'm not using that accidentally because this is actually where hocus pocus comes from. You Hoka get the, wawa? Hocus pocus. We all know hocus Hoc pocus. Est, it's used in magic tricks. Hocus pocus. What's the What's the real Latin? It's hocus pocus. I can pronounce that. Jeez, I, I, sorry, Hoc I missed est that one. Anum corpus meum. This is my body, Jesus says. And so, you know, in the days before uh, the uh, uh, sound systems and churches and so forth, and you would chant, and they were long and drawn out, and you imagine in the back of the cathedral, or and your the, priest may not may or may not know latin and so he may or may not pronounce it well that also that's important i mean there's just a whole lot of kind of practical things that come into it but they knew enough of their own theology even in the middle ages and so forth that uh they they knew that this substance has changed it becomes christ's body and blood and you see this come out in a whole lot of practices and how they uh you know show great reverence to the bread and the wine. And this is also going to come back in article 22, uh, you know, in receiving the sacrament in both kinds, they stopped receiving it in both kinds because they were so afraid of spilling the, the wine Christ's blood, you know, that would just be a terrible offense. Um, and, and all of these things, but this, this is a change of that substance into these things without changing what you see before you. And so it becomes this magic trick. And so I think I did my research here. I have a note on it. It was somewhere around the 1620s here where, yes, where you started having F, uh, evidence of kind of these uh, uh, magicians uh, that were going around and so forth, and they were called hocus pocuses. Right or hocus pocus, right? And they started saying those words in conjunction with the uh, magic tricks that they were doing, and and everyone much more Christian uh, territory at that time, uh, at least in in terms of you know uh, knowledge of it and so forth. Uh, they they all got what was going on. It was a corruption of the Latin mass uh, speaking of 
the, the words of institution. And as I continue to drone on about Hocus Pocus for far too long, but I think it is connected to the issue and giving Pastor Fist some time to do his research here, which maybe he could have I'm done before the, the show. I'm just reading the But we stuff. have a caller here. Ah, uh, it looks like Anna from St. Louis, uh, Missouri here is calling. Anna, go ahead. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that First Corinthians chapter 11, what really is important to me, and I, and I think in this whole um, argument where... Is there? Is it the body? Is it the blood? Is it this? Is it that? Is the port uh, on 29 where it says, as you were pointing out, um, people were getting sick, but it says anybody who doesn't examine themselves um, drinks this um, without discerning the body. And you have to examine yourself. And why would someone say without discerning the Lord's body if he meant something other than the Lord's true body. And so therefore, it seems very clear, especially in this passage, because we are told to discern the body. That means, I think, it's really there. Believe it is really there. We said it's there. It's there. And we want you to discern it so that you don't profane it or drink judgment upon yourself and become ill or die or whatever so if he meant um this is just a a memory of jesus i'm sure he would have said that there as well thank you anna yes uh that that is an excellent point there and uh that that is what we were referencing yeah that they must discern it and i think you also brought out something really helpful there too that they should examine themselves and this is something that is often forsaken unfortunately among our lutheran churches i i would argue very few of our Lutheran churches uh, exercise that, even though Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession specifically cites that in the celebration of the Mass, we have not done away with that. Everyone is examined when they come to the Lord's Supper. So that's a key part to the celebration of it. But as far as uh, your point there, that discerning the body, Pastor Illo wanted to jump in with a comment I, there. I do. Anna, you really hit on uh, an important part of First Corinthians 11, because there are some scholars and theologians and pastors who will read this, and they will put the emphasis on everyone examine themselves, and they'll talk about examining the body as self-examination. But in all of the uses of uh, all of the previous uses of body in 1 Corinthians 11 and all of the uses of the word body that come after that use, they are all referring to the sacramental body and blood of Jesus. And so when it says examine the body, it comes down to what is it that you are receiving? You're receiving the body and blood of Christ. Uh, and that is the examination that's going on. This is a confession of faith that Jesus is here present in the sacrament. And if you don't confess that Jesus is himself here in the sacrament, if this is just bread and if this is just wine, then you really shouldn't come forward because you might get sick and you might die. And, and then also a place to potentially talk about closed communion as well is because the other way that St. Paul commonly talks about the body, and it's one in the same, um, and we call it communion, is that we are communing as the body of Christ ourselves. We come together. We are the body of Christ together. And if you're not... Um, Considering that when you come forward and this confession that we have in unity about what is going on here and what we're receiving here, then you're not discerning the body 
there either, and that's certainly showing up in First Corinthians 11 as well, is that they're not uh, considering the right confession of this. Some of them are drinking and getting drunk, and he says, you know, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? You know, go do that stuff elsewhere. That's not what we do here when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is a, a holy and sacred act that we share together, confessing that we receive Christ's true body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That's a great point, Anna. Thanks for chiming in there. Pastor Fish, you want to jump in? I do, because I think, I mean, it's that point about discerning the body that I, I do believe firmly it leads our, our Lutheran tradition to hold that the sacramentarians do not have the supper, uh, because uh, it kind of would stand to reason, at least, that this would be great damage to them. It also goes directly against their public and their corporate teaching, so that they, uh, they do deny it, even though they keep the words. And... Uh, they, this is kind of dealt with a little bit in the formula. I, I, I would like to do more. I know I've seen it other places. Uh, but when the formula talks about in Solid Declaration, uh, <clears throat> Article 7, verse 83 and following, uh, the recitation of the words of Christ's institution alone does not make the sacrament if the entire action of the supper as it was instituted by Christ is not kept. So when you, when you mess with the institution in one form or the other, let's say another example, adding, uh, juice instead of wine or something like that, you insert, you insert at the very least a question as to what is being done, what is happening at that point. Let me give you an example from the Calvinist church that I attended as a young man that brought me back into Christianity. No, let me, no, don't look at me. This is huge. Like, I believed, oh, is there a, yeah, some other thing? Oh, <laughs> we, we have another We've, call in that a call on hokey pokey. We'll hokey get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. The Calvinist church I attended when, uh, coming back into Christianity from the, the dark night of the soul that I had chased off in my youth, I remember very vividly the words of institution of that pastor who preached law and gospel to me from the book of Galatians. The words of institution went like this. He would say the words of institution verbatim, exactly as we have them, and he would say, and although we know this bread and wine remains only bread and wine, yet we also know you are present in ways mysterious to us. And then he went on, and the rest of the liturgy was pretty much the same. They didn't have the Lord's Supper. He confessed it. This is not Jesus. He, he, he took words and undid the words. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced our position is if you're going to do that, if you're going to mess with it, you have exactly what you say you have, which is bread and wine. Is that, are, you, are you guys disagreeing with that? Or are you disagreeing with like the, the idea that if they just don't do anything else and just keep the words of institution, then we don't kind of know what's happening and it's probably there, but to their judgment. I, I, yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's how awesome, I want to say this. I love this. Yeah, I, I mean, it is and it isn't. Right, because they are they are making an abomination of it. They're they're abandoning the true sacrament in the confession of what it is, and mm. so there we would say you don't have it. You don't have the true sacrament mm. anyway, right? But at the same time, you do have it. Just as Pastor Peter L was talking about with the baptism, right? When you do this in connection with God's word, it is I it's know. effective. And I remember at seminary so, staying yes, up late at night arguing, arguing to your judgment. I remember at seminary staying up late at night arguing with guys about how we say one thing about the supper and a different thing about baptism, and I could never reconcile it. Now we're making it a public matter. Let's go to Hokey Pokey. All right. We have William calling in from St. Louis, Missouri also, and he apparently wants to talk about Hokey Pokey. Uh, go ahead, William. Turn yourself around. around. <laughs> all about. Okay. Okay. Back in the 70s, we had a little wedding band that played at wedding receptions almost all the time. And uh, even since I was a kid, I could remember this. One of the standard dances at a wedding reception was the Hokey Pokey. And maybe not all the listeners are aware of this, but it was a dance where everybody got around in a circle. And you put your right foot in, put your right foot out. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn about. When it came to do the hokey pokey, everybody raised their hands and their heads and shook them and bowed down as before an idol and said, you do the hokey pokey. Well, 
I always thought it was a silly song until one day it dawned on me that it had relation to Hocus Pocus. And uh, I only mention this as a humorous, humorous aside, but uh, it would be interesting to find out how that dance originated or who did that. And uh, yeah, I, but, I don't know if any of you folks know about the Hokey Pokey dance or not. But uh, Yeah, we, we, we know about it. I've danced it at uh, many a wedding and uh, things of that nature. Pastor I, Fisk and I are doing it right now. Th- it's things, very exciting. Yeah, it was, I don't it do was papist, very distracting. I don't do papist dances. Well, well I didn't it, know that it, it was one. It is interesting. And, to, so to I'm the not point, sure. Thank you, first of all, for uh, listening and calling in now, William. But uh, it, it is an interesting point that uh, it, it probably is. I mean, it, it would certainly be pretty close to Hokey. Uh, or hocus pocus, and at least in the way that we're talking about it, as to the actual history of it, I'd have to look a little more into it. But I, I think it would be with the turning around and things of that nature. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts? Oh, Blank I, stares at me. Yeah, That's you, what I'm you point your fingers in the air and then you turn around, and yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, hey, something hey, with the changing of the substance. I researched in the book of Concord. I can go to Doctor Google while you guys keep talking. Yes, you could, but. Uh, yeah, that that's an interesting point. Uh, but as coming back to transubstantiation then, so I, I think the point that we definitely want to make here when it comes to uh, this issue of transubstantiation, and again, you'll just have to keep listening to the show, and whenever we get to the small called articles, you know, in like 30 years when I'm retiring, uh, maybe uh, maybe we'll get to it then, because uh, just because the apology is so long. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely hit that issue more there. But as far as... What we are confessing here, I, I, I do want to kind of come back to this point here where and maybe get your guys' thoughts on this. You know, are we okay with being considered more on the side of Roman Catholicism here in their teaching uh, as opposed to, you know, we definitely don't want to be those other guys who deny the position of Christ. I brought that up and then we had some call-ins and kind of went and dealt with those things. What, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think that when it comes to this matter of confessing what's going on in the Lord's Supper, it is extremely important that we confess Christ is present. Mm. And I don't want to, uh, I don't, I don't know that there's a whole lot of value in saying I'm on the Roman Catholic side more than I'm on the Protestant side. Ultimately, I'm on the scriptural side. And scripture is clear. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. when uh, we when we participate in breaking this bread, we receive the body of Christ. When we bless this cup, we receive the blood of Christ. And so I want to confess that. If that is closer to what the Roman Catholic Church, is, Church confesses than to what the uh, other Protestant churches and Reformed churches confess, then so be it. But I want to confess what the Bible says. And, and I'm in agreement with you there. I, I, I was kind of setting it up, actually, in the way I worded it, and maybe that's not fair of me to do. But uh, I think Did I you go hand- where you wanted to? Yeah, you, you handled right. it well. You know, I brought it up with the baptism last time, too. I, I, you know, sometimes we fall in this temptation. We talk about a spectrum of things, but the, the place we want to be is confessing orthodox theology. We want to confess truth. We want to say what Scripture says. We want to be there, and if it happens to fall closer to one side or the other, um, so be it. But we're concerned about where they fall with regards to truth. We have another call-in. This is great call-in show day. Uh, we have Rebecca also calling in from St. Louis, Missouri. First of all, thank you for listening rebecca and go ahead hi um thanks i enjoy your show um we're sorry (laughs) i wanted to clarify something and get you guys to weigh in on this it's my understanding i'm i'm lutheran and the the body and blood are present the wine and the bread are present Um, i've gone to a church 
before visiting. And the pastor says the exact same words of institution that I have heard my whole life in an LCMS Lutheran church. And but that pastor does not particularly believe that the body and blood are truly present. However, I have friends that attend this church that do believe they were taught in this denomination that the body and blood are there, that it is truly. It's what I have been told by my pastor, and I thought that Martin Luther said, what you receive cannot be painted by the lack of faith of the pastor who is handing it out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to jump on, on. Yeah, I'm going to jump on that and totally agree with that. So what I was saying earlier about a corporate denial of something. So you're, if you're attending in a church that that and, and we're in kind of debate about this here too as to what the Lutheran position is on this is. But if you're attending a church where the entire body confesses this is nothing, that's one thing. If you're attending a church where the whole body confesses this is Jesus' body and blood, and it's only the pastor with private reservations, you know, the, the person and faith of the pastor has no bearing whatsoever on the sacrament. The, the question is at, at, that we're kind of wrestling with is uh, what is the corporate confession and and I know I didn't just make this up so I know it's somewhere in our history the question is what is our what is our real teaching on that matter so did, did that help did that help with your question yes I did well sort of yes okay wanted, <laughs> follow up follow up ask one more we got two minutes well I just wanted to, to make sure that I had learned that properly that I mean it, I guess what my question is is it what the entire congregation believes, this is a congregation that has people from a Baptist background. It has people from a Reformed background. It has people who have been taught different things through their lives, but they're in this, I don't want to say the denomination, but it's a kind of a catch, it's, it's, the church is kind of a catch-all, and people believe different things. And the official position of that church is there isn't an official position. So, but... Like I said, the pastor says the exact same words. He says, this is my body, this is my blood, blah, blah, blah. You know, Rebecca, I oh. he, he doesn't do the denial, like you said. Yep, so, yep. We got it. To get you an answer, we got to let you go. But thank you for the call. I think, Rebecca, that a lot of this goes to... Uh, what makes the sacrament? If the sacrament is made by a corporate confession of faith or an individual profession of faith or the faith of the pastor, that's not a really strong place to to put our confidence. But we put our confidence in the Word of God. And it is the Word of God in and with the bread and wine and the body and blood of Christ that is this sacrament, that it does this mystery, and that brings life, forgiveness, and salvation. And so the hope and the confidence isn't in the belief of the pastor or in the belief of the public confession. Now, this does also lead to a really important question about... Uh, if this is a place where the corporate confession is unclear or the individual confession of the pastor is unclear, maybe that's not a great place to have communion, but because it's really hard to be in union with these folks when you're not sure what they all believe. But uh, here are the elements in the Word of God, and where the Word of God works, the Word of God works. I think that's very well said, and 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 a big point for St. Paul in his writing to all the churches is always that we would have this unity of our confession of what is really going on. And so I, I think it's a helpful distinction that you make there to consider, you know, what, what is confessed in this place and, and, and it can't be invalidated by a poor pastor or anything of that nature that has bad ideas 
God's word's powerful and effective. He works what he works there. But we want to make sure that we have unity in our confession. Thanks for listening to our show where we're all about that. This is Concord Matters where we seek to be of one mind in unity of our confession. That is the mind of Christ. We've been talking about the Lord's Supper. We're going to continue talking about this next week because I think we have a lot to continue to talk about this very important article. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep confessing, church.